So do I. And that's probably where the similarities end, right there. I say that based on the way Paul used different analogies and different metaphors of sporting events, in particular running and races, to make his point, to to paint spiritual pictures for us so that we can understand probably better. I believe when we look at the scriptures and the different places that Paul talks about it, and we'll, we'll look at a few today, I believe it's really clear in a hurry that Paul understood a few things about athletics. One of those would be that if you're going to really excel, it takes commitment. It takes hard work. It takes focus. It takes every bit of energy you have. And he seems to understand that clearly. And it's interesting that he then chooses to use racing, running races, a sport, to emphasize what our life, our walk, should be like as Christians. When we look at some of the things that we're going to look at today, we'll see when Paul talks about the runner, he's really referring to you and me as Christians. And when he talks about the race, it's the Christian life. You know, you don't even get in the race. You know, you, you, to get in the Olympics, for example, man, you've got to be good, and you've got to run a lot of races before you ever get to the Olympics. Olympics. And not only do you have to run a lot of races, you've got to do well. You've got to qualify. You've got to beat a lot of people. Your times have got to be extraordinary to get into the Olympics, to get into the race, to qualify to get into the race. In the Christian life, there's only one way to qualify. Only one way. And that's to be a Christian. And there's only one way to be a Christian. No matter what our culture might be trying to tell us, to be a Christian, we have to do a few things, and that starts with recognizing that I'm a sinner. I am a sinner, and that sin separates me from God eternally unless something intervenes, and that something can't come from me. So God, in His mercy and in His grace, sent Jesus Christ, His only Son, to die on a cross to pay the price of sin. And he was buried, but the grave couldn't hold him. The power of God raised him from the dead. And he did all this that I might have my sins forgiven. That I might become a Christian by accepting that gift, that sacrifice that he made for me. And accepting that gift, really it's a grace gift, it's a a love gift. Accepting that amazing gift of love while I was a worthless sinner, an enemy of God. He died for me. When I accept that gift, because of that amazing gift of love, out of love, I I return and say, Lord, I not only want you as my Savior, I want you as my Lord. I'm going to surrender my life to you. And when we have done that, we have qualified for the race. There's no other way to get in, but now we're qualified. Now, we need to understand that that is not the finish line. Wouldn't it be nice if that were the finish line? But it's not. It's the starting line. To get into the race, this Christian life, living it out, walking it out, running it out. And Paul uses this picture, this metaphor of of the maximum effort that a Christian must, must put in to run out the life that he's called us to. Now notice, it's to run out the life, to work out, to get to the finish line. Tremendous effort. Not to get in the race. You can do all the work you want to try to get into the race, but nothing except accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior qualifies you for the race. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at some verses that one of them contains one of my favorite verses uh, for many, many, many years. 
we're going to be looking at a, a, a metaphor of a race that Paul is describing. And we're going to look at, eventually, the key verse or the, 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 the uh, central verse of this uh, particular set of Scripture is going to be in verse 14. It says simply, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the theme in this section of Scripture is simply pursuing the prize. And what Paul is really going to be talking about is a Christian's effort towards growth. Spiritual perfection, if you would. How's that for a lofty goal? Spiritual perfection. Now we're going to give a little context though so we get to see who Paul is and and where he's coming from. And we're going to look at a few scriptures just before where we're going to actually focus. I'm going to read in in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 4 and read through verse 7. And what's not on the screen is the last sentence in verse 3. Paul says this, Put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, what he's saying is, don't put any confidence in yourself or anything you think you've done or can do or will do. And then he goes on and says this, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far, far more. Man, he's saying, (laughs) if anybody thinks there's something, wait to hear about me. Then he goes on and says, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel, the nation God chose. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew amongst Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. I'm an expert. He says, as to zeal, I, persecute, I am a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, I was found blameless. And then in verse 7 he says, But whatever things were gained to me, all of those things, and so much more. When Paul's writing this, he's been in the ministry approximately 30 years already. And if you know his life, it's been an amazing life. But he's saying this, Whatever things were given to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul had put his trust in his own achievements for salvation. Now, you and I, hopefully, as Christians, think, boy, Paul, that wasn't very smart. But the reality is, millions of people are doing the same thing today. They're putting their trust in their achievements for their salvation. Whatever those achievements might have been. I went to church, I got baptized, I was confirmed, I tried to be a good person, I've been a great businessman, I'm very successful, I give a lot of money away and all of this wonderful stuff, and Paul's saying, so what? It's worthless. I counted all his loss. And he did this, he started to count it all his loss after he had an interesting experience. Many of you are familiar with what we call the Damascus Road experience. If you want to just make a note, if you're not really familiar with it, it's Acts chapter 9. But Paul has been on a roll, a religious roll. Jesus has been crucified. He's buried. He's ascended. He's gone from the earth. And Paul is on a roll persecuting the church. Uh, He was just not too long before this, he was there when they stoned Stephen. 
And now he's on his way to Damascus with special orders. Go ahead and go. Arrest him. Beat him. Do whatever you want with him. Throw him in prison. Get those Christians. And he's like, yes. In his zeal for God, he is saying yes. He was that deceived by his religion. I'm going to go do these things. I'm going to to put more, more jewels in my crown for God by persecuting the Christians. But you know the story on the way God showed up. Jesus Christ came and personally encountered Paul. He spoke to Paul. He knocked him to the ground and got his attention. And Paul instantly, whatever Jesus did, it must have been impressive because immediately Paul goes, Lord, what? And can you imagine? Can you imagine if at that instant he really did get it? All of the things that could have been going through his mind of what he has done in hostility towards Jesus, the Messiah, towards his church. Can you imagine when, when he says, Lord, what? It's like, oh my gosh, here it comes. Kind of like you or I might think, geez, if I turn to God, I, there's no way. Look what I've all done. Look what kind of person I've been. Look what kind of life I've led. There's no way. God doesn't go there. He doesn't go there. He just says something like, Paul, why, why are you kicking so hard against what I want for your life? He blinds him for a while and he tells him to go to Damascus and go to this certain place and the guy comes and lays hands on Saul and he becomes Paul. He had a total heart change, an encounter with God. And once we have that personal encounter with God, with Jesus Christ, everything changes. And he discovered what he's writing about here. Everything that he thought was so important over here has to be abandoned because God has got something way better over here. Way better. He says, as a matter of fact, I count everything over here as rubbish. Or a more literal translation is, I count all that over here as dung. And we could use more colorful words. It's just a pile of dung. Wow, if that's what this is, what must be over here? Well, he goes on in verses 8 through 11, and he says this. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him, that I may know the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, and being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's what He gained. Compared to what He gave up, this is what He gained. He had gained the knowledge of Jesus Christ, knowing who He is. He had gained the righteousness of Christ. He had gained the power of Christ. He had gained the fellowship of Christ. And He'd also gained that certain hope of the glory of Christ, the resurrection one day that would come. Gee, I wonder which way the scale would tip. Well, it didn't take Paul long to realize this is dung. This is garbage. This is rubbish. I'm going over here. And to get over here, I need to forsake all of that. And that's what Paul's going to encourage us with as Christians today. We have a race to run as Christians. It's called our Christian life. And there is a prize that we need to be running after. 
And to do that, to really get it, we need to count all this other stuff that we think we've done in our own strength as dung, as rubbish, as worthless. And we need to pursue Christ and the prize, whatever that prize is. And we'll look at that in just a minute. In verse 12, Paul quickly follows up all of this with a disclaimer. First he says, I was all this, that's gone. Now I've got all this, but I'm not perfect. I'm not even close. I have not arrived. In verse, verse 12, not that I have already obtained it. Not that I've already become perfect. And he repeats it again in verse 13. He's, he's addressing some things that we're not going to go into. There was a group of people, and there, there's been groups of people in modern day church history that believed in perfectionism. That you become perfect. That's the goal, but we're never going to reach it. It's the goal. That's, our, that's where we want to shoot for. I want to shoot for spiritual perfection. We're not going to reach it till Jesus Christ comes back. Or we go to Him. It won't happen. And He's making it clear. That's who I was. I was a Jew amongst the Jews. There is none of you that I would have to take a step back from. But I've gave all that away for this. But I'm not perfect yet. Not yet. Just think about Paul. At this time, as I said, he's been ministering for about 30 years. He has planted churches all over the place. He has suffered unbelievably. And he's saying, I'm not there yet. I'm not even close. Paul had become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Think of that. He'd become a new creation in Christ. He had been given a new heart and a desire to follow Jesus. He had been given the mind of Christ. He had been given these things. He, he had a new standing before God. He was no longer an enemy of Christ. God looked at him and said, you are my child. You are my friend. You're a joint heir with me in Christ. Paul was all of these things. He was, he was accepted by God. He was, he was covered by the blood of Jesus. He, was, he, had his, he had his ticket punched into heaven. He was entitled to heaven. He had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He had the cloak of righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he had the promise that one day he'd be raised from the dead and spend eternity in glory with God. He had all of that, and he says, he's, I'm not perfect yet. Wouldn't it be cool if we could just have all that? We do. We do. Everything I just read is ours. As believers, that's who we are. We are new creations in Christ. We've been given the mind of Christ. He has changed our heart. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have all of that. All of that. Just like Paul had. And you all know as well as I, we aren't perfect. But we're supposed to keep going. And he uses this picture of a race. I'm going to go ahead and read um, verses 12 through 16. He says this, Not that I have already obtained it or I have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which was also laid hold of... I'm going to back up. This is important. I am going to press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching towards what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect or mature, have this attitude. And if anything that you, anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. 
However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have obtained. Paul understood that he had to be in a race. He understood that he had to continue pressing forward. He understood that that he wasn't perfect yet. He understood what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He knew we had to continue to grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus. He knew it and he understood it. He knew with pursuing the growth, pursue the goal, run the race. Here's the question. Why run the race? Why run the race? If you were here last week, you know I, I, I spoke about the, the story of, the, of Jesus and the, the Samaritan at the well. And we talked about the living water. And how Jesus himself said, if you drink of the living water, meaning Jesus Christ, you will never thirst again. All right. How do we drink of the living water? We accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I have drank of the living water. Wow. I just want to sit down and just be refreshed. What's wrong with just staying there? Paul, why do I have to run this race? Why do I have to do this? It's going to be hard. You use this, this metaphor, this picture of, of a, a runner just straining, putting all his energy, his time, his focus, all his strength, stretching his muscles to the max, pressing on to, to finish, get to that finish line. Why do that? Some people think that way. I accepted Jesus. I'm going to heaven. There. I'm through with it. There's got to be a reason. Well, first of all, running the race and pursuing the prize brings glory to God. That should be enough right there. We run this race to bring glory to God. But there's other reasons. As we run this race, we build up our spiritual stamina, our spiritual strength. And it's evidence that we are a new creature in Christ. It's evidence that we have been regenerated by Jesus. It's evidence that we're a new life. And as we see these changes begin to take place in our lives, it, it gives us an assurance of our salvation. I mean, many of us, maybe most of us, you know, we look back and people looked at us and said, he is never going to change. He's so far gone, there's no hope for him. And most of us, when we heard it enough times, we begin to believe it. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, we have a personal encounter. We have a Damascus Road experience. And we begin to pursue this goal, this prize. And God begins to work these changes in our life. And all of a sudden, it becomes more and more and more real. In my own life, in my own mind. God, there's no way I could have been an overcomer without you. And now we're overcoming. So it gives us assurance. It gives us strength as we grow in our spiritual walk. It gives us strength when trials and tests and circumstances come into our life that are really tough. And they're going to come into our life. Matter of fact, Paul says, I glory in the sufferings for Christ. Now, to my natural mind, that's really stupid. You know, Dear Lord, bring me more suffering. But he understood. God used that suffering to take him that much further down the lane towards the goal, towards the prize. Spiritual maturity. You know, I'm not trying to give a simple answer to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But God uses those things to bring us down closer and closer to the goal towards the prize. And as we are growing in, that, that in our spiritual life, our spiritual walk, we have more and more strength 
when those things come. As we continue to press in, it prevents us from being a reproach to Christ. Now, I, I certainly don't want to, and I probably have many times, but you know, I don't want to walk around as an ambassador for Jesus Christ and then do and say and act in such a way that it's like, really? I don't want to be a Christian if that's what it is. We don't want to be a reproach to Christ. So we pursue, we keep running the race, we keep heading towards that finish line with everything we've got. And as we do this, it enhances our witness to the world. Lots of reasons why we would want to run this race with all the strength we have. Paul ran the race. He wrote in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church, he wrote these words, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one of them receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive perishable wreaths. But we receive an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I'm not, I'm, I, I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Boy, you could preach a sermon or two or three on that section of Scripture. He says, that's how I fought this race. I focused. You know, I picture that guy boxing in the air, flailing away, not hitting anything. He says, why waste your energy? There's a target. Land your blows. Paul understood the race. We're going to look at those verses 12 through 16, and quite quickly I'm going to just give you a few um, um, principles, if you would, of pursuing the, the prize. How do we pursue the prize? First one is this. We need to realize, we need to realize we're not perfect. You know, if we don't realize we have a need, we don't do anything about it. So the very first thing is, I have a need. I have not arrived. I'm in the race. I'm qualified. I might even make it to the starting blocks, but I'm not very far down the path yet. And no matter how far down the path you might be, none of us have reached the finish line yet. So we need to understand, first and foremost, that we have a need to pursue a better condition. And I want to just stress the word condition, not position. Your position in Christ is assured. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God, seated in heavenly places with your joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That is my position in Christ. But my condition isn't all that it could be, or should be, or one day will be. But I want to work towards that. Our position is fixed. Our condition needs to be worked on. You know, there's, there's a real danger in being spiritually content. You know, if I would ask the question, are you spiritually content? Are you happy with where you're at in your walk with the Lord? I would hope all of us would say, no way. No way. I want more. I want to give more of my life to him, and I want him to have more control of my life. I, I want more. When we get content, it becomes stale. And we won't stay there very long. We will be pulled down by the world we live in, by sin, by our culture, everything. We don't want to become content. 
So the first principle is you just need to know that we need or have a need. And then secondly, the second principle is simply this, and it sounds really stupid probably, obvious. You need to pursue the prize. You need to pursue the prize. You know, Cindy, <clears throat> Cindy likes to garden. One of us likes to garden. We both garden. So we're looking at our garden since we came home from vacation and going, holy cow. You go out there and the ground is so hard you can't even break it up with an axe. So yesterday we decided it's time. We look at it. We realize there's a need. And then it would have been really fun for me to go sit on the deck with a iced tea and said, we got that taken care of. I recognize the need. But we had to get off our duff, me, (laughs) she was probably already in the garden, and go do it. And that's what it is with our spiritual walk. It's one thing to recognize you have a need, and everybody wants to become super Christian. I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have their faith. I wish I could believe like they do. But we don't want to do anything about it. We won't read the Word. We don't spend time in prayer. We don't have a mentor. We run from trials and tests and circumstances we don't like. And then we wonder, how come I just seem to be so stuck? We need to pursue it. We need to pursue it. I'm going to just read about two or three scriptures quickly here. 1 Timothy 6, 12. This is, again, Paul writing. He says, fight the good fight of faith. That's not sitting around. That's fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of what he's called you to. Make it yours and go for it. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Man, it's important. He connected faith to both of those scriptures. Because at times, we don't have anything else in the tank but faith. And at times, there doesn't seem to be much of that. But by faith, we're going to keep running. We're going to keep running. We're going to keep running. By faith, fight the good fight. Hebrews 12, 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Man, most every one of us here has one or two of those doggone besetting sins that keeps grabbing a hold of us, wrapping itself around our feet, and we're stuck. We can't even get out of the starting blocks. He says we need to get rid of that. How do we get rid of it? Repent. Repent. Resist it. Go. Turn away from it. Go the other way. Fight the good fight. Run with endurance. Fix your eyes on the goal. Our problem is with that besetting sin, we get our eyes off the goal and on that besetting sin, and before long, we're right back over there in it. Tangled up. Suffocating. Spiritually beginning to just wither. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. Stay focused on the goal. Maximum effort. What's maximum effort? You know, if, you're, if you hear me completely wrong, you just think, boy, I just got to try harder. Really, maximum effort is taking advantage of all the grace that God gives you. That's maximum effort. All the grace that he gives you, take advantage of it. He has given us the Holy Spirit. I don't understand the Bible. He's given you the Holy Spirit to help you understand the Bible. But you still got to read it. I can't walk it out. He will give grace to empower you to be an overcomer. He will help us. He will get us through this thing. We need to pursue it with maximum effort. Take advantage of the grace he's given. Paul wrote wrote these words, to lay hold of that for which we have been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. There's a motivator. 
Lord, why did you save me? Why did you save me? I know at least one answer is this, that you may become like Christ. That you may be transformed into the image of Christ. That you may become more and more like Jesus. That's why I saved you. Paul understood that. So what is it clearly, specifically, that we are laid hold of for? Well, Romans 8, 28, 29 says it really clearly. He has called us, predestined us, to be conformed to the, be, be conformed to the image of His Son. There it is. That's the goal. Keep your eye on the goal. I want to be transformed in the image of Christ Jesus, His Son. What's the prize? To be transformed into the image of Christ Jesus' Son. The goal and the prize are the same thing. The prize is out there. That's our goal. That's the prize. What? I want to be transformed more and more like it. It says if you're running down that track, the further you're getting and the closer you're getting to the finish line, people should be able to look at you and say, He's becoming more and more like Jesus. We should be representing Christ in a greater and greater way as we're closer and closer to that finish line. And, you know, we'll never get there in this life, but don't let that discourage you. The promise is we will all get there one day. But let's not wait till that one day. Work our way towards it is what Paul encourages. Christ's likeness is the goal. The third principle is to be focused. Concentration. To pursue a better condition. Paul says these words in verse 13, one thing I do, one thing I do. Now, how many of you know Paul did a whole lot more than one thing? He traveled evangelizing, he planted churches, he settled disputes, he he did all kinds of things. But he says, even in the midst of all that other stuff that I have to do, one thing I do. You know, some of you might say, well, gee, we're just supposed to live like hermits with the Bible in our face? No, that'd be ridiculous. That's not even Christ-like. We have lives to live. But in the midst of that, we need to stay focused on this one thing. One thing to become more Christ-like. You can become more Christ-like in your business. You can become more Christ-like in your marriage, in your family. You can be more Christ-like walking down the streets in our communities. We can become more Christ-like in all these things. If we stay focused. If we stay focused. And Paul says, this one thing I do, it's pursue that prize. What's the prize? Christ-likeness. And he says, how do I do that? He says this, and it's interesting, and most of us need to learn from this. Forget the past. Forget the past. We are so stuck in the past. Our hurts, our pains, our past sins. The enemy just dumps on shame and guilt based on what? Your future? Of course not. Your past. Paul says, Focus on the prize. To do that, you've got to quit looking back there. You've got to quit looking at the past. I, it doesn't matter. Get this. It doesn't matter whether your past was horrible or really, really good. It doesn't matter. You need to forget the past. You need to look forward to the prize. How do I become more Christ-like? He says, reaching forward. And if you do a study on those words, it's like straining your muscles and grabbing hold as tightly as you can using every ounce of strength you have to go for that prize. Reaching for the prize. You've got to forget what's back there. Satan wants to keep you back there. He wants to keep you making excuses and living in regrets. He says, don't even look back there. Don't go back there. We're going to go forward. Reach for the prize. 
It's the only way we can do it. Stay focused. Fourth principle, to be spiritually motivated. Why would you want to do this? It's so much work. Remember what you were like before you were saved? And some of you listening to me might not be saved. And you're saying, my life's not that good. Well, it can change and get better. Spiritually motivated. How does my past life spiritually motivate me? I know who I was before Christ. Well, I know in part who I was. And I know it wasn't good. My lifestyle wasn't good. My thought life wasn't good. The way I treated people wasn't good. You know, the things I did with drugs, alcohol, all that, it wasn't good. I get that. The hard thing to understand for me when it first started was Jesus died for me anyway. He came and died for me while I was in that lifestyle. While that's who I was, he died for me. That ought to motivate me spiritually to love and honor and bring glory to him. Knowing also spiritually one day I'm going to be in his presence forever and ever in his presence. It won't be reached in this life, but it's still my goal. Paul talks about in 2 Timothy, there's a a future laid up for him with a crown of righteousness. It's laid up for us too. Fifth principle, in verse 15, and this is really an encouraging verse to me, let us therefore, as many as are, are perfect, the word probably better should be mature, it's not that we're perfect, have this attitude. If anything you have is a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Basically what he's saying is, if this isn't your focus, if this isn't your goal, if this isn't your all in all, you know, your attitude's wrong, but don't worry, God will reveal it to you. We have a spiritual resource, God, the Holy Spirit, who will reveal these things to us. God will provide the help that we need. He will give us the strength that we need. Sometimes we don't like it much because a lot of times it starts with conviction of sin. That if we cooperate, leads to repentance and forgiveness. But we need to realize we have a divine resource. We have the living God, the creator of the universe, the Holy Spirit living in us. And he will guide and direct us and give us the strength. And the last principle, stay on track. Stay on track. Now, it seems ridiculous, but can you imagine being in the starting blocks? You're ready to run the race. And the gun goes off, and it's a 100-yard race, and you get to that 50-yard mark, and you're cruising fast as you can, and you're leading everybody, and you decide to stop and turn around and run the other way. Everybody else goes shooting past you, and before long, you trip over the starting blocks, and there you lay on your face. Now, none of us would be that stupid, foolish. But we do some pretty foolish things as Christians. We get off track really easy. He is saying, stay on track. There's a word in, in, in verse... 616, it says, However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. The word living in the Greek means this. It's like almost a military term where you all stand in line and you march in line. In other words, do it the same way. He's saying, do what you've done to get here. Well, we didn't do anything to get here. We accepted Christ. Well, if you went down the track at all, you've been doing some spiritual things. And those spiritual things would be something like these reading the word. The truth is what sets you free. The word of God is the truth. Jesus is the truth. 
We want to walk in freedom. We want to stay focused. Get in the Word. Prayer. Prayer. Now, not just going to God and saying, please bless my food. That's good. And not going to God and just asking Him for all the things that we need. That's good. But it's just talking to God. Getting to know Him. Developing the relationship with Him. You know, if if I am so impressed by one of you that I want to become just like you, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to latch on to you till you can't stand me. And I'm going to try to learn everything about you. I'm going to learn how you think, what you do, when you do it, what you eat. Well, I won't go there. I'm going to eat my own food. But I want to know. How do I know? Closeness. Prayer. You know, prayer is hard. And if you don't believe it, ask yourself how much time you spent in it yesterday. But we need to realize we can't have intimacy without that relationship. So prayer. Keep doing what you're doing. Read the Word. Be in prayer. Find a mentor. Find a mentor. Someone that you can follow. Someone that you can learn from. You can be mentored by books, good authors. You can be mentored by um, other ministries, tapes and things like that. They all can mentor you, but there's still nothing like a personal mentor. Someone in flesh and blood that you can sit down next to. Hold you accountable. Teach us. We all need a mentor. And don't wait for me to give you one. Find one. Ask somebody. Go after it. We should all have a mentor and be mentoring. It should be a given. And then the last thing that Paul mentions, and I'm not going to encourage you to go looking for these, but it does take trials and testings to really become spiritually mature. And if nothing else, just understanding that reality helps us to be more easily accepting when those things come into our life. They mature. You know, how often do we say you've got to hit bottom before you really can turn to God and let Him turn your life around? Trials point us. When we get to the end of our rope, our strength, He's there for us. We need to turn to Him. Trials. In 1 Peter 5, it's written, Have you, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Isn't that cool? After you've suffered a little while. 1 Peter 5.10 Our gracious God, who has called you to His eternal glory through Christ, that he will perfect you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. If you could have a conversation with Paul about this section of Scripture, it might go something like this. Paul, why do you do it? I do it to gain the prize. Well, how hard do you have to work at it with maximum effort? How focused are you? Do you get distracted? I concentrate on nothing else. How dependent on God are you? When I fail to trust in Him, He reveals my failures to me. I'm totally dependent on God. Paul, what's the secret? That's what I would say, because I want the secret. I want the shortcut. Paul would probably say something like this. Consistent time in the Word. Consistent time in prayer. Consistently following an example. And allowing God and embracing the suffering and trials that come my way when he allows them to come.
So, are you pursuing the prize? Are you focused? Are you growing? Or are you stalled? Or are you slipping backwards? Are you standing in one spot, looking backwards, spending most of your time making excuses, defending yourself? Are you willing to say, you know what, I'm not where I ought to be, but I'm going on? I hope we're a people that would say, I'm not where I ought to be, but I'm going on. I don't know who first said the phrase, but it went something like this. I'm not what I was. I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I could be. And I'm not what I'm going to be. That should be us. We're not who we were. We're saved. We're in the race. But we're not where we could be and should be yet. And we're not going to get there till Christ returns. But that shouldn't discourage us as we fight the race and run the race. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray as we look into your word and we see how Paul instructs and encourages and challenges us. Your spirit raises something up within each one of us. Stirring a fire. God, the embers may have almost gotten cold in our life, but I pray, Holy Spirit, come and and just blow your refreshing wind on those embers and, and get this fire going again in our lives. God, give us that hunger for your word. Draw us to yourself through the intimacy of prayer. Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray and how to listen. God, I pray for each one of us. You would would set up a divine appointment for that person who could maybe mentor us. Show me who we might be able to mentor along the way. And God, I just pray for the grace for each one of us to stay focused when the trials and tests come because your word tells us they surely will come. God, I pray for us that we would truly be a people running that race to win the prize. God, that we might be that testimony and witness to the world that would draw people to Jesus. Lord, we pray these that you'd be glorified in all of it. Lord, also I pray right now for this upcoming week for each one of us here as we go about our lives. Help us to narrow the focus. Give us grace to be excellent in all that you've called us to do. And even in the midst of that, the grace to stay focused. And Lord, lastly, I ask you to be with us in this, all the people that are going to be in this building this week. Father, we pray for it to be a powerful experience for all of the children that are signed up and for all of the volunteers that are helping. And we pray that you would cover this entire property in this building with your protection. Father, I pray now that you would bless each one as we go our separate ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.